Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm Stacey Bellward, the host of the Connected Families podcast. Welcome to the community. We are people committed to pursuing God's grace and truth for ourselves and then daily working to pass that grace and truth onto our children. You know, on today's show, I'm really excited to share with you some of the golden content that those in the sensitive and intense course received when we debuted it earlier this year. You know, once a year, we open the community and support version of our two key online courses. First one, Sensitive and Intense Kids, and that one ran early this spring. The second one is Discipline That Connects with Your Child's Heart, and that course opens in September, everybody, so mark your calendars for that. Well, year around, you can get access to the course content, the videos, But when you jump into the community and support version, there are a number of community-based learning extras, loads of new extras. And we're dreaming up and coming up with lots of new ones for discipline that connects this fall. Well, one of the extras that we do is that participants can submit questions and we do our best to answer all of them. And so today I grabbed a few questions that were submitted by parents and we'll listen to the audio answers that Lynn Jackson, co-founder of Connected Families, she also wrote the course, Sensitive and Intense, her and Lydia Rex, her co-presenter for the course, along with Katie Wetzel, the three of them together, Katie was the online course moderator, they came together to answer the questions. Well, I'm really excited about these questions and the answers. Because we've created a new small group format for sensitive and intense kids, the online course. You can join those small groups today. I'll share more about that later in the show, or you can just tap through the show notes right now if you want to. Okay, let's get started. The first question is from a parent who's using the Connected Families Framework to guide her interactions with her struggling child. This is the question that she asked, and then we'll go to the clip. She says, I'm finding it hard to know how long to search for the underlying issue. When is the line crossed into correction if I still don't understand what's going on? Here's her response. This is a great question. Instead of it being like, I need to figure out the underlying issue versus I need to correct, it can be both. There's room for both compassion and coaching. We can be empathetic without fully understanding that iceberg. You know, we can start to empathize with what we know. We can be curious and empathetic. But I think, I know we've talked about this a lot, that just right challenge mindset for expectations. Okay, so we we don't want to be like, oh, I'm letting you off the hook because of this underlying issue. Instead, we want to be like, boy, how can I understand you and then coach you in a way that is most effective? So I, I think a lot of this is, is setting all of you up for success with this idea of like, how can I bring in the compassion and also get proactive? It might not be in the same moment. Um, in the moment, you might just lean into compassion and, and connection and empathy. And then you might circle back around to that struggle later and do some coaching. And coaching can can be really effective correction as we are, you know, building wisdom in our kids, even in that coaching space. Yeah, Lynn, what else would you say about that? Yeah, I think the question almost implies that correction needs to be an unpleasant punishment. And that's, you were kind of getting at that, Lydia. But if 
you know, and we really dive into this in depth in the Discipline That Connects course, that it's it's about giving kids a heart for reconciliation, where reconciliation, we talk about this in session six, so hopefully you've gotten through that, is our correction a shame inducer or a shame reliever? And if it's a shame reliever, like, oh, I made that right, that feels so much better, my heart's reconnected, woo, yes. Now that may feel like that's a long way off, but that's that's the goal, to help kids want to make things right, to reconnect because they feel so much better afterwards. So then it's not an issue of, oh, I don't know, do I need to give a consequence for this or not? It's like, wow, how are you going to guide your child to fix whatever went wrong here? If you can figure out what went, what was going on under the surface, awesome, all the better. But there's still, there's a natural desire that we have, a God-given desire if we don't squash it to want to make things right with each other and to elevate that in your home, invite kids to it, whether or not you've figured out what's going on under the surface. We don't want the paralysis of analysis (laughs) happening with parents going, oh, did I get just exactly what was going on under the surface? No, it's like, do your best shot, make some guesses, ask your kids, and then move on to, okay, how can we figure this out, you know, a good way to make this right that we all feel good about. I think especially with sensitive and intense kids, like the coaching connect a lot of times blend together for me too, of like, I don't know why this was overwhelming to my child. I don't know, you know, but I can tell it feels like too much. And so I might change our schedule. I might change my expectations. I might change how independent they are, (laughs) how much supervision I give so that I can support them where they are, right? So it may look like losing a privilege, but it's not to make them feel bad about what happened. It's to get that just right challenge. It's to help meet them where they can be successful. And that privilege can come back when we grow. But until we figure out how, why and how, or, you know, sometimes it's just they enter a new season of brain development and all of a sudden you may never know why that was hard, what that was about. But if I can meet them where they are and support them, you know, then we're going to get correction too. Does that make sense? So, yeah. yeah. There were some more details in the question that this was a lot about a, a five-year-old coming home after kindergarten. And when I read it, I was like, oh my, he just needs lots of connection and sensory support when he comes off. And that would make some of these other issues much more of a just right challenge for him. So do not miss the extra resources in session five in particular, because there's tips for everyday, sensory tips for everyday challenges. There's stuff about afters and after school blog post. So really supporting our kids to set them up for their best choices is super important. Such great thoughts from Lynn, Lydia, and Katie. You know, in that clip, Lynn just referred to session five. That means session five in the sensitive and intense kids online course. Man, all the people get so many sessions and lots of extra resources. It's really fantastic. So our next question is from a parent who's working to incorporate sensory activities to help her son regulate through the day. Here's the question. She says, you know, the problem that I'm having is that I can't find strategies, 
motion activities, pressure, joint compression that my four-year-old likes doing more than two or three times? Here's the answer. So this really tells you that your child really regulates with creativity. And I remember the day that I was evaluating a a really anxious four-year-old, I think. And every time I would ask her to do an activity, like the one I remember was draw a line between these two dots. So she did. And then she immediately drew a bottom lip and a bunch of teeth. And I mean, any little thing she drew, she turned it into something creative. And it was like, bingo, creativity is her primary source of self-regulation. And so just to be aware, that's probably how your child is wired. And there's certainly strengths to that, but there's certainly challenges to that. And when our kids were young, they were super creative. All of them in one way or another during school got some sort of school award for thinking outside the box or creativity or whatever. And I was all into that. And I made sure they had all sorts of materials for creativity. What I didn't realize is it's a long process of learning to focus on more boring kinds of things and that that's a really good process. And so I think back on our son's second grade class and they were writing out the numbers from one till whatever it was, 2000 or something like that was a lot of repetition. And I was like, okay, my son knows how to do this already. So can he do something creative while you're, while the rest of the class is finishing up with all these hundreds of numbers? And I looked back on that and went, I totally missed it with my son. He had plenty of creativity, but what he needed was to learn to exercise his attention when the dopamine excitement was not so high. And we began to work on this later. That's part of what's going on with this little four-year-old. It's got to be novel. You know, what's the just right challenge for him to participate in some of these activities with some choice, with a little bit of novelty, building it into a routine. So some thoughts that I had, adding structure or sequence or rhythm to the mini tramp or crash pad activities that he that he consistently likes. She said he likes mini tramps and crash pads, but they seem to wind him up. So add some structure, some sequence, some rhythm to keep him more regulated, do lots of counting and marching. He needs rhythmicity. Rhythmicity correlates with attention span. There's a whole program called interactive metronome that increases attention span in kids with ADHD by teaching them to very accurately keep a rhythm. So rhythm is going to be important for this little guy. And then could the creative element be reading a story or making one up instead of new activities all the time? So, hey, who's our hero for today while we do X, Y, Z? activities. In the sensory activities, I think I showed a picture of kind of like the paint stick with the Velcro pictures so that he could have some choices, but you're building in a routine. Maybe after snack, we do an activity from our paint stick, or maybe we do the paint stick and then we have snack or some sort of first this, then this, trying to build in structure, predictability, daily rhythm. My last little thing here, and then I'll let 
Lydia Wayan. There's a podcast by Amy Nival, N-Y-V-A-L-L, who's got a little kiddo that sounds very much like your little guy. So I thought you would enjoy that podcast. It's about sensory rhythms through the day or something like that. I think it's daily sensory rhythms. There you go. Daily sensory yep. rhythms. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So Lydia, take it away with whatever you were add. Yeah. Well, first of all, that podcast is such a good one because she talks about how she built those sensory rhythms throughout their day, one little step at a time. Um, and man, I just read this question from this mom and, oh, you are doing so many things and working <laughs> so hard. And I, I feel you because I've got one of those who loves novelty too. So um, for us, it's been helpful to get really consistent about daily sensory time but then have a little bit of flexibility in what that looks like. So we always start with swinging, which is that rhythmic input, right? And then we do a couple of OT exercises and we give our son kind of some, oh, which three should we do today? But there's kind of a set list that we've determined are things that we're doing right now. So he has some flexibility in that, some ability to, you know, exert some control in there. And then it ends with a kind of sensory snack. We've got these frozen fruit juice pops that are kind of like the, the little ending of that sensory time that feels like a little bit of an incentive to like, oh, let's do this. Since we got the fruit juice pops, he's been like, dad, let's do our exercises. <laughs> Sometimes you just need a little assist like that to kind of help you through. So yeah, building a routine and, and maybe just the simple element of having a routine is where you start. Maybe you start with you do two exercises and the goal is to make it consistent and joyful, you know, connective, and then woohoo, we can celebrate that and then maybe build on that. Um, and if, you know, I think we even had a time when we saw big growth in, in our son when he was doing a daily bike ride. So it wasn't like traditional sensory exercises, but man, that was just so regulating for him. Got him outside in nature right away in the morning. And also my husband loved starting his day with a bike ride. And so it was like, that's such a win for the parent and child there. So I was thinking about that too. Like, are there things that are regulating and helpful for mom that like you could build that into the routine as well to help support you as you're doing all the support for, for your little guy? What I'm hearing in a lot of our answers, well, questions and answers is like this thing or that thing, you know, and it feels like, is there a way we can have both, right? How can we integrate these things? And so mm -hmm. it's not structure or creativity. It's both. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. not his needs versus my needs. You know, where can we find that win-win? And so I love what you guys shared in your examples. And I don't know, Lynn, you probably feel me on this one too. Or maybe you do too, Lydia. Like I am structured, organized task person, and then having this creative kid who doesn't intuitively do structure, but given structure, he can really succeed. And so I had to share my structured brain with him. But then I also get to benefit from his creative in the moment, fun loving, <laughs> you know, that that I for the novelty, he's hilarious, he can always see what's funny, he can see what's beautiful in the moment that I might pass because I'm looking at tasks. So it's such a blessing when we can find that those win wins with mm -hmm. our kids. And so yeah, structure, those creative types need structure and us structure types need creative. I have one more question and answer that I would like to share 
But if this question and answer time has gotten you wishing that you could get Lynn or Lydia in your living room to encourage you when your child is struggling, then we've got the next best thing. Lynn and Lydia have trained a dozen Connected Families Certified Parent Coaches to be small group leaders for the Sensitive and Intense Kids online course. They already bring a wealth of expertise as Certified Parent Coaches, Plus, the extra training they've now received is golden. You have the opportunity to be in a small group with those who will be leading an open invite group through the course this year. Groups are starting in the next six weeks. All right, to give extra support to the groups, we've developed, when I say we, I say Lynn Jackson. (laughs) She developed an all-new research-based small group curriculum that will help you get the most out of the course. You'll experience rich connection with other parents of sensitive and intense kids that will deeply encourage you on your journey. Well, if you've already taken the course, the small group format really could help you consistently continue to apply what you've already learned. The small groups are independently organized by the coach. And so there's a variety of days, times, configurations. All the details for those small groups are on our website under a tab called events or go to our show notes and you can just tap right there to that. Committing to a small group, learning and receiving support from others really is the best way to get unstuck. We are thrilled to be able to facilitate these small groups, check out the events page at connectedfamilies.org today. Okay, our final question today is from a parent with older kids. She asks, I would love to hear more about play with older children. My oldest is 16 and I have a 14 and an 11 year old. I think Katie has kids about that. Well, my 11 year old just turned 12. So we have 12, 14 and 16 year old boys. Um, but I also love adolescents. I didn't start out loving adolescents, but I've come to as I've learned to understand them and really see the good parts of that stage. Uh, but play is tricky. So a couple of things that make play tricky is their dopamine system. Dopamine is our motivation and reward. So their baseline level is lower than other times in their life. So this is the, they don't want to do anything or that sounds boring or we have trouble just motivating them to get up and do things. So what happens though, when they do have dopamine released, it comes in really strong. They're really sensitive when it's released. So they have a big reaction. So what we need to do is, like I said, build up that anticipation (laughs) to start getting that dopamine released. And they're much more socially motivated. So if we can bring a friend along, or there's some like social aspect to it that can really help speak to what they value at that age as they're building more identity and stronger relationships outside the home. And the other thing, there's a couple other things. One, kids this age, there's uh, higher risk taking. They are more impulsive. When they do get up and get going, <laughs> they tend to be more impulsive. And we see a rise in injuries from a medical standpoint see a rise in injuries this age. And so play with these kids, we need to again, consider their motivation, but also their experience of it. I I don't know, especially thinking of this 11 year old, these big kids, when they move from being a little kid into these bigger bodies, they don't always quite realize how big their new bodies are. (laughs) And so they're climbing on things and jumping off things as if they were, you know, 
30 pounds and they're not anymore. And when they're with friends, when they're in that high arousal state, their really good problem solving starts to go down. So play with big kids is also going to be a lot of risk reward, right? We're going to be teaching them wisdom. And so we want to affirm their values like that. It's you're having a lot of fun with that. Let's take a second to look at what the risks might be that might get in the way of that fun. And so we would, I would do, you know, a balance thing with my kids. And I realized they were seeing all the rewards and I was seeing all the risks, but we both need to look at the full picture, right? And it's going to take kind of in anticipation to prevent, you know, to kind of set them up. Okay, let's think ahead. What's fun? What's going to be maybe get in the way of that fun? Where are the risks that's going to make that not fun anymore? Or in the moment, if you see they're kind of getting out of hand, like, hey, let's take a break, <laughs> time out, you know, and like, you're having a lot of fun, you know, I saw this happen, what, what might we need to do differently? So that's, again, as we're, in, as they're engaged with play, teaching some wisdom, so that they can have a degree of self control, <laughs> while out without spoiling all their fun, which is what they're afraid of, we're going to spoil all their fun. So yeah, look at motivation and wisdom when it comes to kids this age. What in particular they're going to enjoy playing is really individual because this is when that individual identity is starting to form. So they're not motivated by what you're motivated by as much. You've got to really notice what they value and what motivates them and then give them space. That low dopamine is hard for you, but it's hard for them too. So a lot of times with my preteen, if we were doing something as a family, I don't want to do it. Okay, well. You can sit in the car and, and you're welcome. I just kept the invitation open, uh, you know, whenever I could of like, you don't have to come along, but we would really enjoy you coming along and giving him a little bit of experience around that, letting it be his choice was a lot more effective. Mm -hmm. Good thoughts. Part of that uh, I have on with this Lynn here about the scaling question. Oh, yeah, and yeah. Throw that out there. It's a really great tool just to kind of start figuring out what they might be interested in. Keeping a lighthearted posture, look, like Katie said, looking for what they're interested in. Our kids like to make movies, play tennis, you know, joining that. Using a lot of self-deprecating humor can help kind of open the door for, for more lighthearted connection because teens are likely to be a little more testy about us taking authority over them. So if we poke fun at ourselves, that's a win. But I would just ask the question, when do you have the most fun? So zero, we never, ever, ever have any fun and playfulness in our relationship. So 10 is, well, it's not like it's hilarious. <laughs> but you know, we, we definitely sometimes have fun together. What's your number? And what the number is, isn't as important as what's between that number and zero. And then just really picking that apart, looking at it. And then how could you just sort of expand that and nudge it up a couple of numbers? So that's really starting from your str the strengths in your relationship is really kind of really good starting place. And those older kids have stronger powers of abstract thought, you know, and that conceptual and strategizing that's really speaking to what their brains are really good at. So I love that. Wow. I love all of those ideas for parents to think about as they're working to engage with their teens and their preteens. Good material. 
All right. Well, there's a few key takeaways that I would love for you to hear today. Number one, we are a community of faith-filled parents working through all sorts of hard things. We are in this together and we need each other. Number two, Connected Families is here to support you with practical Bible first, then science and research informed content that you can use today. We're so glad that you're here. All right, that's it for today, friends. Thanks for tuning in. If you're interested in joining a sensitive and intense small group, now's the time to check it out. You will receive support for your journey, hear lots of creative ideas, have your questions answered by a trained Connected Families Certified Parent Coach, and you'll have access to all the extra resources. There's a ton that are mentioned in this conversation and also in the course. There's links to all of it in our show notes. Well, we are a listener supported organization. Over 50,000 parents like you listen to this podcast every month. Individual donations make the work to equip and encourage families possible. For more information about Connected Families, follow us on Instagram or Facebook or go to connectedfamilies.org. I will see you next time.